Hey, well, what's up, Fuse, wherever you are all across the state and here in Anderson tonight? Um, man, I'm so excited to be here with you guys. I know that I'm probably a newer face um, for most of you guys. Um, my name is Billy. I am from our Northeast Columbia campus. And so shout out to my Northeast family. I miss you guys. I love you guys. I hope they are having fun. I'm coming back to beat all the all in basketball next week. That's like fighting words where I am, so I got to be careful. Um, but I'm, I'm super stoked to be here tonight and to get to land the plane of this series with you guys. Um, have you and Anderson enjoyed this series so far? Yeah, it's been so good. And if you're new with this, if you're just catching up, um, the series that we've been in is called Linked, where we've talked about this idea that for us as Christians, if we're gonna be successful in following Jesus, then we're gonna have to do that in the context of family. That we're gonna have to have brothers and sisters of the faith alongside of us to encourage us and spur us along. And so throughout this series, we've got to learn a lot about a lot of really cool things. We've got to learn about um, how do we honor the image of God in someone else? And um, how do we honor the opposite sex? And how do we do dating well? And tonight, gosh, I'm so excited. Um, I get to land the plane with the truth that for us, for our family, our church, our spiritual family, we should be a family on mission. That we're a family on mission. That, that your experience of church, your relationships in church, um, your church family, we should be a family that's on mission. And so I am super passionate about this. Man, I want you guys to like feel what's in my heart tonight. Um, I think my heart's just going to bleed out all over this stage. Um, and so if you're ready with me, say amen, and we're going to jump into tonight. All right, so family on mission. And so this is what I believe we have to talk about first, um, if we're going to be a family on mission. The first thing I think that we have to talk about is the condition of our spiritual family first. Because the, the condition that our spiritual family is in is either going to add to or it's going to subtract from the mission that God has us on in itself. Because the condition that our family is in is either going to say to the world, hey, there's space for you here. And as we're trying to grow this family, as we're trying to grow God's kingdom in the earth, we want you to be a part. Or else the condition that our family is in is going to say, um, no, there's not really space for you here. We don't really want you to be part of this family. And so what we're going to do tonight is we're going to look at some, one of the things that Jesus said before he left to, to go die on the cross, one of the last things he said. And then we're going to look at one of the last things that he said before he um, ascended into heaven. And so um, if you're taking notes with me tonight, write down this, that the condition of spiritual family equals one. The condition of spiritual family equals one, if we're going to be a family on mission, then we've got to be a family that's one. And so if you have a Bible, turn it to John 17, and we're going to look at verse 20 and following. And so Jesus, he's about to um, be arrested, and he's about to die on the cross, and he's, he's with his disciples, and he's praying, and he says this. He says, I do not pray for these alone, but also for those who will believe in me through their word. And so Jesus is praying for us right here. This is crazy. And he says that they may all be one as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they may also be one in us, that the world may believe that you sent me. And the glory which you have given me, I give to them, that they may be one just as we are one. I in them and you in me, that they may be made perfect in one, that the world may know that you have sent me and have loved them 
just as you have loved me. And so check this out. Jesus is about to go die on the cross, and one of the last things that he prays for is that you and I would be one. That, that his spiritual family that's gonna be on the earth would be one. And he says that, that hey, by our oneness, by our unity, the whole world is going to know that the Father sent Jesus the Son into the world. There's something about um, the, the church family, Christians, the body of Christ being one that, that is such a walking advertisement for the gospel of Jesus Christ. So that when people would look in and see the condition of our family, they would see, man, Jesus is real. And so unity in the body of Christ, this idea of us being one, isn't just like a, a good you know, political idea, but the gospel being made known to the world is at stake in our unity. And so that's crazy, right? That's a crazy thing that, that you and I, we can just be a walking advertisement to the gospel. And Anderson and Greenwood and Florence, we can just be a walking advertisement to say, hey, Jesus, Jesus came and he died for you. And so I think the question we have to ask is, Jesus, if this is the thing that you're praying for, what does this look like? What does this look like, Jesus? Like, what, is, what does one look like? Because you, you prayed for us to be one, but you didn't really tell us how. And so what does one look like? And so if you've got a Bible with you, we're going to flip over to Revelation chapter 7, um, and we're going to read verse 9. And so what this is, is this is what I believe that Jesus was praying for um, when, when he prayed for us to be one. And so what this is in Revelation, we get this snapshot of what the kingdom of heaven is like, what heaven is going to be like one day. And so this guy, John, he gets this vision of heaven and he writes it down and it says this. It says, after these things, I looked and behold, a great multitude that no one could number of all nations, tribes, peoples, and tongues standing before the throne, before the lamb, clothed with white robes, with palm branches in their hands, and crying out with a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God and to the lamb who sits on the throne. And so check this out. We get this picture of oneness in the kingdom of God, and it says that there's every nation, every tribe, every um, language spoken, people from all different sides of the world. It says that there's, there's every skin color, that there's people from this side of the city and people from this side of the city and people who speak languages that we don't understand and people with this upbringing and people from this socioeconomic level and this socioeconomic level, and they're all together in unity declaring the praises of God. And so Jesus says that oneness in his kingdom looks like this beautiful mosaic, this multi-ethnic, multi-classed church that's together in unity. And he loves that people so much that he's chosen to spend an eternity with them around his throne. And here's the kicker for us tonight. The kicker for us is this. You know what Jesus taught us to pray and to pursue? That it would be on earth as it is in heaven. Y'all know that, right? Jesus taught us to pray and to go after with all we have that it would be on earth as it is in heaven. And so Jesus says that, man, by, by our oneness, people should be able to look in and see 
black and white and Hispanic and Asian and so many mixed ethnicities and people from this city and this side of the city and and people who don't even speak the same languages operating with the same oneness that Jesus has with the Father. Man, how crazy is that? that? That we could be a people that operate with the same oneness that Jesus has with his own Father, God. That we're supposed to be one in our spiritual family with someone of a different skin color, just as Jesus is one with the Father. Man, isn't that crazy? Isn't that crazy? And so this is, this is the thing, man. I think that if we're not going to pull any punches tonight, and if we're going to be about this, I think we have to be honest with ourselves, and I think we have to say, man, this doesn't happen a lot, right? Like, this doesn't happen a lot in our day, because one, it's hard, and we have a proclivity to, to, to what's familiar and, and, and what do I like and, and comfortability. And I think if we're not pulling punches even further, let's be honest and say, man, this doesn't happen a lot in the church, right? And from the outside looking in, sometimes it can seem like, man, this secular sports team can rally more races and more people from different backgrounds around winning a game than the gospel can in the church. And man, that's a problem. But this is what I want to propose to us tonight. Man, what if in this generation, it started to be different? What if in this generation, it started to change? And what if the condition of our spiritual family looked like that picture in Revelation 7, every tribe, every tongue, every people group operating in worship of King Jesus together? And I wish I could tell you that, man, like, I've got this really crafty sermon, and I'm going to tell you how to get there, and here's these, like, four easy steps. But, but the reality is, man, I don't. Because, again, it's going to be hard, and this is going to take work. But this is what I do believe that it starts with. I believe it's going to start with a people of repentance and a people of responsibility. That if we're going to be one in this spiritual family, then, then we're going to take on a posture of repentance, because if we're honest with ourselves, man, we have a deep history, even within our own state, of getting this wrong. And the solution isn't to say, like, man, that was in the past and that wasn't me or anything else. But the solution is, man, that we would be a people that get on our knees and we would say, God, would you sweep me? Would you not let me inherit any generational thought that would hinder me from being one with another brother or sister? God, would you sweep me of my pride and my prejudices, my biases, and that we would be a people who take responsibility and say, we're going to lay aside political agendas. We're going to lay aside what our family thinks. And man, if it's Jesus' call in our life to be one, that's what we're going to pursue. Amen? Are you awake, Anderson Fuse? Come on. That we would be a people that pursue this in the earth. I'm like running out of breath up here. Man, that we would be a people that don't just say like, I'm tolerant of other skin colors being in the same class as me and being in the same room as me and being in my church, but we would actively pursue being part of their family and make space in our family for them. Man, that we would be a people, check this out, we've, we've celebrated Black History Month all throughout Fuse this month, and man, it's been amazing, it's been great, but man, what if, although February is coming to an end, we were a people that kept that same mindset? That just because February is over, 
doesn't mean that this has to end, but we're gonna honor people of different races and we're gonna honor people who don't look like us and we're gonna get to know about their story and their heritage and the things that make them great. And so the thing I wanna plead with you tonight, Fuse, every single campus, is would you commit yourself to being a fulfillment of Jesus's prayer in the earth at such a time as this? Would you do it? We need it. And so everybody say, the condition of spiritual family equals one. I know this a lot. Just say it. <laughs> all right. <laughs> Maybe that wasn't a good idea. I really needed a drink of water. So, all right. So now, now that we've talked about that, we've talked about, hey, what, what should our family look like? Let's talk about taking the family somewhere, right? Because Jesus didn't just call us to like stay stagnant and stay inward facing, but Jesus called us to be on mission. And so if you're taking notes, the next thing you should write down is that the posture of spiritual family equals on mission. The posture of spiritual family equals on mission. And so if you've got a Bible, turn to Acts 8, or 1, I'm sorry, and we're going to look at verse 8. If you're there, say amen. We probably got it on the screen, so you can say amen here shortly. Thank you. All right, so this is what's going on. Jesus has just died on the cross. He's rose from the grave, and he's got his disciples with him, and he's, he's given them the play before he leaves and goes to heaven. And he says this in Acts 1, verse 8. He says, you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit is come upon you, and you shall be my witnesses to me, in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And so Jesus looks at his disciples, he looks at his church, he looks at his spiritual family, and he says, hey, you guys are going to be on mission. Like you guys are gonna be going to different cities and making disciples and sharing the gospel and planting churches and taking this thing that I've given you and you're gonna expand it all over the earth, that you're gonna be a family that's not stagnant, that doesn't just stay in the same place, but you're gonna be on mission together. And so what it kind of reminds me of is this right here. And so does anybody know what this is? This is obviously like a watch, but we're gonna get a close-up really quick. Does anybody know what type of watch this is? This is a Rolex. And so this is how you know, like, it's not mine, I'm a poor pastor. So let's like hope to God we don't drop it. Um, but it reminds me of a Rolex because I don't know if you know anything about um, Rolexes, but like, you know how most things have a battery and like, you know, that battery has a certain amount of energy in it. And then like when your remote runs out of batteries, anybody hate when that happens? Like when you have to change the remote batteries or like smoke alarms. Has anybody ever had one of those go off in the middle of the night? It's so annoying, especially when you have a 16 month old. But anyway, like normal things have a battery where like it just drains and then you change the batteries. Well, the thing for most Rolex is the thing that makes them really nice and really expensive that makes me really nervous holding this like couple grand watch up here is that it has a, a different battery. It operates a different way. And so the, the cool thing about this is when you wear it and you're moving around, the, the, the motion that you're in is going to fuel the power of the battery. And so this means like as long as you're in motion, it's going to fuel the function of this watch. And so that's what this also means. If you sit a Rolex down for too long, it can only function for about 50 hours and then boom, it goes dormant, stops ticking. And it reminds me of the church 
Because Jesus said that we're supposed to be in movement, that we're supposed to be on mission together. And that the church can only live off of previous movement, of previous momentum for so long. And then it goes dormant in the earth. And, and could I suggest to you tonight that man, maybe the things that we're so upset about right now in the world are because for many of us in the church, we've done that with our faith. Right? Because I don't, I don't know if you heard this the other week, but man, this just like shocked me when I heard our pastor Brad say this the other Sunday. He said that, that currently in the earth, statistically, that out of 10 self-professing Christians, people that say, I believe in Jesus Christ, nine of them don't ever open their mouth and tell any other person about Jesus Christ or what he's done. And that because of that, mostly, right here in our state, in South Carolina, there are 3.6 million people who aren't connected to a church in any way, at least 3.6 million. And it's likely that because of that, because there's not a church preaching the gospel and sharing the word with them, that they don't have a relationship with Jesus. And if they died tonight, they would spend an eternity apart from him. And so this is what this means. We've got work to do. And so check this out. In the early church also, there's this time where they, they needed to do some work. And so if you wanna to turn to Acts 8 really quick, we're gonna look at verse one. And it simply says this, it says, now Saul was consenting to his death. And so this guy named Stephen, he preached the gospel and then he was stoned and then he died. That's how I'm trying to go out. Just kidding, my wife's here. She's like nervous about that. And it says, at that time, a great persecution arose against the church, which was at Jerusalem, and they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. And so this is what happened right here. The, 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 there's a lot of really cool things happening in the church around Jerusalem. Like the church around Jerusalem is experiencing miracles, and, you know, the gospel is being preached, and people are getting saved, but it really hasn't, like, Cross the, the border of Jerusalem yet to other places. And so what starts to happen is persecution begins to come and guys start to die for their faith. The guys who are preaching the gospel and the church is persecuted and the persecution, instead of squashing the movement of Christianity, it actually um, is a catapult that sends it out to Judea and Samaria. And as these people go, they begin to preach the gospel and plant other churches and the gospel begins to advance outside of Jerusalem via hardship. And so I was thinking about this, and I was thinking about our past 12 months. 2020 sucked, right? Would everybody agree with that? All right, you should raise your hand. 2020 sucked, and, and 2021 wasn't that great either so far. But man, what if this was our Acts 8-1 moment that woke us up? What if this was the Acts 8-1 moment for us that began to grow the church because one of the things, I'll just let y'all in on, on my life. I'm, I'm a bit of a like radical. And so one of the things I pray for Fuse all the time is I'm like, God, like, I don't want just like a casual student ministry. Like I want students to graduate from the ministry that I lead and like go plant churches in foreign nations and like go do great things for God. But the thing that, that I realized as we just came out of 2020 when we were in quarantine, remember all that? The thing that I realized is, man, God didn't need to send me to a nation right now. God needed me to love my neighbor because there's 3.6 million of them who need him in our state. And just to be honest with you guys, I'm a youth pastor, 
right? And remember 2020 when like all the Fuse was on Zoom and it was like, oh my God, we got to do Fuse Group on Zoom again. And we were all watching church online. And man, I had gotten really comfortable doing my church activity of Zoom, but then I would look out my window, you know what I'd say? Man, there's students in my neighborhood that I don't know. And I don't think they go to church anywhere. And God taught me that, man, Billy, sometimes you can be really good at church activity, but do you really love your neighbor? Do you really love the person right beside you? And what if tonight, Fuse, we were a generation in the state of South Carolina that woke up to the reality that there's 3.6 million of our neighbors that need our family to be on mission, sharing our faith. Because the scary thing for me is like, Every statistic that I read, like 3.6 million is like very generous to the projections of the future of the church in America. Like the, the statistics say that like, man, the church is shrinking and like all of your youth are gonna like stop following Jesus one day and all of this stuff. But man, this is just what I believe. What if the previous 12 months were a call, was a call for a generation to wake up with a fire inside of their heart? that there are lost people in our communities that need the hope of the gospel, who need their eternities change. And what if instead the church in your generation began to defy the future odds against it and the church began to grow and not shrink? That we would see what happened in the book of Acts happens in your day. What if there was a multi-ethnic, unified, crazy, passionate generation about Jesus Christ and his mission in the earth? What if it was you guys tonight? What if it was you? And I wanna tell you that I believe, there goes my water. <laughs> I believe this can happen because I've heard about it happening. And so let me, let me land tonight with this. Um, I wanna share with you guys a story about my friends named the Moravians. And so um, call me a nerd, whatever, but one of the things that I like to do is I like to like study church history. And I know that probably sounds like so boring, but it like fuels my faith for what God wants to do today. And so this group called the Moravians, they were this group of people who were um, religiously persecuted. And so therefore they had to leave their home uh, around the Germany area. And in 1722, um, they would find themselves fleeing because of persecution, um, landing in this little town called Hernhut. Now Hernhut belonged to this guy named Count Zinzendorf. He was a very godly man, a very generous man. And he said, hey, hey guys, why don't you come just like live on my land and make your home here. And so as he opens up his home, for like the first five years that these Moravian people were there, it, it was just said that it was just like such a spirit of like disunity and bitterness in the camp. And, and like there's a lot of just back and forth, and, and you guys know how it is. And this guy named Count Zinzendorf, he hears about this, and um, he, he doesn't just say like, oh man, that's awful, I need to pray for them. But, but he moves himself right into the camp with them. And he begins to go around and he says, like, brothers and sisters, like, we can't be disunified. Like, we're the people of God. We need to come together and we need to be unified. And as he begins to do that, he begins to call people to prayer. Like, you know how we had 21 days of prayer not too long ago? He calls people to prayer and he's like, let's start to pray for revival. And then in 1727, God answered that prayer. And like, you need to go read about this, it's crazy. Like the Holy Spirit is poured out over this prayer meeting. And they said like, for a whole day, they didn't know like, am I in heaven or am I on earth? Like it was that good of a prayer meeting. And the Holy Spirit begins to be poured out and revival starts coming and a prayer gathering turns into a 24 seven prayer gathering. And you know how many years it lasted? 100. 
And so like people would die, you know, and then the next generation would carry it on. And the thing that's crazy is like, as they begin to pray, God began to burden their hearts that outside of the walls that we're praying in, there's people who need Jesus. And these people, they begin to raise their hands and say, man, if they need Jesus, send me to them. I'll go to them. I'll go tell them about Jesus. And so as they begin to raise their hands, they begin to send out missionaries all over the world. This one quote says that they followed the call of the Lamb to go anywhere with the emphasis on the worst and the hardest places having the first claim. There was literally people who would jump in boats and like know that they're not coming back. They're dying wherever they go to go preach the gospel to the least of these in the world. And what started out with this little band of just 300 Moravian disunified people, they ended up sending over 300 missionaries all over the world, and it changed the landscape of Christianity. We're borrowing their their influence today. And so this is what I just want to say. What if it happened again? Like this revival stuff, like what if it really happened? What if it was you? What if it was your generation? And so if you would with me tonight, would you stand up? Because I would love to pray for us. So we're gonna pray and then we're gonna go into a time of worship at your campus. Let's pray. Father, we have heard of your great work. We stand in all of the things that you've done. God, would you renew it in our day? God, would you put um, such a spirit of unity amongst fews? God, I pray that this would be um, one of the the generations that goes first in seeing a multi-ethnic church break out all over the state of South Carolina and beyond. I pray that this is the generation that goes first that says, hey, we're done with casual Christianity, and then we're gonna start living radically for Jesus. I pray that people under the sound of my voice tonight get a a, a conviction, get something to grip their heart, and they begin to dream of of mission work and and reaching part of the 3.6 million who need you in our state. God, would you wake this family up tonight? God, do it for your glory. Do it for the world's good. We love you. It's in Jesus' name. Amen.